I think it's really helpful to recognize that everything gets achieved step by step and anything that you've achieved in the past has taken several steps to get there. And little by little, you can get there. Sometimes there's obstacles and difficulties. And again, when an obstacle puts itself in front of you or there's a difficulty, we're then presented with, okay, right, so now I might need to take a different direction or what are my options now? This has happened. So it's a process. That's what's really important to know is that achieving goals is a process. Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Wong. This podcast is dedicated to lighting the way towards greater inner peace and purpose. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to following my own path as a purpose coach. I help people move from an unfulfilling career to a meaningful and purpose-driven career in life. Now let's dive into today's show. Hello and welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. And in today's episode, I talk with trainer, coach, and author Jill Hassan. Jill and I talk all about mindfulness and the ability to take in different emotions as information rather than things that we just get stuck in. And we talk through a few so-called negative emotions, such as guilt, envy, and anger, and seeing them in a different light. We also discuss abundance and scarcity mindset and moving towards a goal one step at a time. We talk about positive thinking and the ability to look at our past experiences as proof that we can achieve what we are looking for and gain that confidence in what we are going after. So stay tuned to listen to my conversation with Jill Hassan. Before we get into the show, I want to make a few quick announcements. So the first is a quick little shout out to Dee Medina. So thank you so much to Dee for donating to A Way of Thinking podcast. And if you would also like a quick shout out and to donate to the podcast, you can do so at jessicahuangcoaching.com slash donate. And next up is on Sundays, you are more than welcome to join me in so many wonderful Dharma yoga practices. So on Sunday mornings, I teach psychic development and yoga nidra, which are forms of meditations and pranayama. And I also teach charging practice, which is a asana practice. So if you're interested in coming to practice with me, you can DM me on Instagram. And last of all is that if you are someone who is looking for coaching in terms of guiding you towards finding your purpose or moving in the direction of it, you can do so by booking a free dream job discovery session with me at my website, jessicahuangcoaching.com. So I look forward to connecting with you either in person or online in all these different ways. And thank you, thank you again for taking the time to listen to A Way of Thinking podcast. Okay, now let's dive into today's show. Our guest today is Jill Hassan. Jill is a trainer with Cross Knowledge, a global training organization. She is a career coach and the author of over 30 adult and children's books, including Mindfulness, Be Mindful, Live in the Moment, Career Finder, Where to Go from Here for a Successful Future, and the children's book, Put Your Worries Away. Her latest title is 21 Day Abundance Challenge, Plan for a Prosperous Future. She is based in Brighton, England. So welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I am so excited for our conversation. You've written so many incredible books on so many great topics that I'm so excited to dive a little into today. And so I wanted to start a little bit with one of the big topics you talk about is mindfulness. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit of like, how do you define mindfulness? Okay, so mindfulness is all about 
being in the moment. And, and I'm sure everybody's heard somebody describe mindfulness exactly that way. But what that actually means, it's helpful to understand something about the way the human mind, the human brain works. And, and we're quite unique as a species. We can think about what has happened. So we can think back to the past and we can think about what is happening right now. And we can think about the future. We can anticipate and predict what might be happening and look forward to things. So there's advantages and disadvantages to that. The advantage to being able to look backwards is that we can reminisce. We can remember good times, happy memories. It helps us with learning. We can think, how did I do this before? Or what happened in this situation before? Oh, yes, I remember. This is how I do this now. But the disadvantage is that we can get stuck in emotions such as guilt and regret. Those are two emotions that are concerned with the past and we can wallow in them. And I have written books on emotional intelligence and there's actually positive meanings to guilt and jealousy, for example, which I can go into a bit later. But we tend to very often get stuck in the past, in the difficulties in the past, then as far as the future is concerned, it's great that we can look forward to things. We can anticipate and be excited about something that's going to happen. But unfortunately, the difficulty with being able to look to the future is that we can get anxious and worried. So we can think about something that might happen and think of the worst that might happen. And again, we can get stuck in that what mindfulness aims to do is acknowledge, yes, we, we, we're not pretending the past didn't happen and we're not pretending that the future is going to happen, but we're trying to focus much more on what is happening now. So we can't change what happened in the past. There's nothing you can do about that. There's absolutely nothing. We can't time travel. So what mindfulness says is, accept the past, accept that, yeah, maybe bad things happen. No one's pretending they didn't. But for example, what have you learned from that? What have you learned from something bad that happened or negative in the past that can help you now or in the future? And then when it comes to future events, if we're anxious or worried, this is very much about emotional intelligence as well. This is where these link. What mindfulness says is, okay, so the positive aspects of worry and anxiety, they're messages to you that something bad could happen. Yeah, it really could. So what those messages from anxiety and worry tell us is, but so what can you do now, right now about it? And in some situations, there's nothing. And that's where Mindful breathing and mindful activities, things like yoga can be really helpful to just really help you focus on what's happening now so that your mind doesn't shoot off. The other thing is that with worry and anxiety, for example, if you were anxious about passing an exam, well, that exam might not be for another month, but what mindfulness does and what emotional intelligence does is say, yeah, that's okay. So you're anxious. So the message from anxiety is there is something to be worried about. So what can you do to prepare for that? And the obvious answer when it comes to exams, clearly we have to revise. You know, So if you get stuck in anxiety about an exam and don't do any revision, that would be very odd. But that's a very clear example of something that we're anxious about, that we can do something about right now. And that would be to revise for our exam. Mm, I love that idea where it's like we're not taking away from the fact that we are naturally thinking about the past and the future. Like we're allowing them to occur, right? Because that our brains are naturally going to go like kind of pull us in these two directions. But then you're taking that as information and allowing it to be how can I use that information and see how I can impact that in this moment? That's, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. That's beautiful. 
I would love for you to expand a little bit on what you were saying there about the like guilt and regret that we feel from the past. Like, how do you transform those feelings? All of these sort of emotions, we tend to think of them as negative emotions, things like jealousy, guilt, regret. All emotions have messages to give us and they're positive messages. It's whether or not we act on them in a positive way. If we get overwhelmed by our emotions or they paralyze us, that's not helpful. So the first step that you have to take is actually think about, well, what is that emotion? And you can do something really simple, like look up the word in a dictionary or on an online dictionary. So guilt, a dictionary would describe it, for example, as a feeling that you have done something wrong. So, okay, what they then do is if you feel that if you're feeling guilty about something, good, you've done something wrong. It's also what we, we know as an, a social emotion. So we've re- we don't often feel guilty. Well, maybe we do. Of course we do. We feel guilty about ourselves. Maybe we've drunk too much or we've you know, sat around for ages not doing any exercise. But also it's a social, so that's a personal emotion, but it's a social emotion if you had let a friend down, for example, and and not turned up to her party and then you'd done that. It was the second time you'd done it recently, let her down. So the message there, oh, I feel really guilty that I've let my friend down. Right, okay, so you've done a wrong. What can you do to put it right? So obviously an apology, maybe a gift, maybe a, look, I'm sorry, I didn't make it to your party. How about we go out for dinner together and I'll, I'll buy dinner? So guilt is a message to you that you've done something wrong and therefore you need to put it right. Regret is a feeling that you did, again, if you looked it in the dictionary, looked it up in the dictionary, it's a feeling that you did something that you feel that you shouldn't have done, or you missed out on something that you feel you should have done. So if I, if you regret, for example, the way you talk to a family member or a friend or a co-worker, again, that, you know, it, it sort of mixes in with guilt really, then yeah. So what can you do to, to change that? If you regret that you never went flying in a hot air balloon or, you know, some big thing that you feel you missed out on, okay. So, again, this is, this relates to mindfulness. You either accept that, okay, you had your chance in the past and that has gone and we're here now. There's nothing you can do about that. Or you recognize that, okay, so I really wish I had done that. Is there any way now? that I can do something about that. People wallow in regret. They go, oh, I really wish I hadn't done this. And guilt as well. You know, I feel so bad. It's so terrible. And that's not helpful. They're just wallowing and getting stuck and paralyzed in it instead of listening to the message that it's giving you and doing something about it now. Mm. Yeah, I love what you mentioned there, that there's kind of, I think of it as like two sides of the coin of what to do with those feelings, that acceptance is also really powerful, right? Where it's like, maybe there isn't a way to do the thing going yeah. forward, but just accepting that is also incredibly powerful, right? Yeah, I totally. Because let's take another example. If you are, if you envy somebody, if you envy is a feeling of wanting what someone else has got, well, maybe they live in a, you know, a chateau and they're married to a rock star. You know, let's get real here. You're going to have to pretty much accept that it's not likely that that's going to happen for you. But there can be other, you know, envy. You could envy somebody, their job or, you know, something about them that you, you think actually, you know, again, it has a positive message. Basically, you want what they've got. So you either accept that's totally unrealistic or you think you get inspired by that. You know, envy can be a source of inspiration. It's like, wow, wow, I really envy them how they've done that and they've got that. And positive message then is, well, great, maybe you could do it. Be inspired by that. Hmm. I love that so much. Envy is actually the reason why I started this podcast. <laughs> oh, really? 
Yes, it was. I saw someone else doing it and I was like, why am I so envious of them? And I was like, oh, it's because I want to do it. So I allowed it to inspire me. (laughs) Exactly. You were inspired to do one yourself. Great. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love what you said there. It is true. Like we get that kind of choice. But sometimes when I think of envy, I also like to think of to myself, like, do I even really want that? You know, sometimes we like the perception of what we're envious of. But in reality, it's like, would you actually want that? And you're like, not really. Yeah, that's so true. Or or would you be prepared to make the effort to to have what they've got? No, come on, you wouldn't really, would you? And yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Do you want to go through the effort to actually have that thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing all that. I'm curious now along those lines, like if we are trying to go after some bigger goal, I feel like there's this kind of delicate balance between the kind of striving towards something and having the mindfulness of this moment. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think it's it's important to have something to aim for they can be small aims, they can be bigger, you know, we can have either of those, we can have large, some, you know, one or two big goals or aims and a few smaller ones. But it's important to be very specific about what they are. And then I think often what can hold people back is that they think there's only one, very often they can think there's only one way to achieve something. And actually, there's always options and there's always possibilities. And this relates to something that I talk about in my book on abundance that you mentioned earlier. And there's uh, something called the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset sees that there's all sorts of possibilities and options for achieving your goals and your aims. A scarcity mindset thinks that, well, there's only one way to do this and that isn't open to me. There's, for one reason or another, I couldn't do it like that. So I'm just not going to be able to. It's it's off the table for me. But actually the reality is that, you know, as long as your goal is reasonably realistic, again, you know, if you're aiming to uh, live in a chateau and be married to a rock star, then maybe you need a reality check. I'm not saying even that's not impossible. Not that that's the thing that we all, you know, the ultimate to achieve. But so you've got to think about, you know, again, that's why it's useful to look at how other people have achieved things. Actually look at role models, look at people who have achieved things and find out about how they did it, what got them there, what their journey was. So in order to achieve a goal, we have to recognize that goals often take time. They're not instantly achievable. Have to think about what is it I want to achieve? And then crucially, what are my options? And they're not always what we really want to hear. Yes, for example, if you want to become a heart surgeon, I'm afraid you're going to have to study for quite a number of years. So again, that's an extreme example, but often there's different ways of achieving things. So it's looking at what are the different options and what will work for me around, because we've all got different commitments. We've all got different needs. We've all got different levels of income and money that we've got coming in. So it's collecting ideas, finding out how other people have achieved what you'd like to achieve and being really open to all the possibilities that are out there. And then once you've realized, okay, I think this might be the way forward for me, you break it down into steps. Maybe it is something that's going to take a year, two years, five years even. So if we think about what, you know, the whole end goal, it's like, oh my goodness, there's going to be so much to do to achieve that. A useful thing to do is to think about anything that you've ever achieved, even Let's say it's let's say it's decorating a room. You, you know, you, you don't just go and buy the paint and paint the walls. Mm-hmm. There's several steps. First of all, you've got to choose what sort of 
colour that you want. Then you've got to prepare the walls maybe. Then you've got to put some protection down so that it doesn't, the paint doesn't go all over the carpet. You might need to buy a ladder or have a ladder. So we, we take all these steps. Is anything that we achieve the same with a recipe if we're cooking a dish? If you just get the recipe book out, it says step one and then step two, then step three. So I think it's really helpful to recognize that everything gets achieved step by step and anything that you've achieved in the past has taken several steps to get there. And little by little, you can get there. Sometimes there's obstacles and difficulties. And again, when an obstacle puts itself in front of you or there's a difficulty, we're then presented with, okay, right, so now I might need to take a different direction or what are my options now? This has happened. So it's a process. That's, that's what's really important to know is that achieving goals is a process and you only have to think of anything else that you've achieved in the past. Just most of us, probably most of people listening to us now have a driving license. Well, they didn't just walk into some authority and sign for a driving license. They had to sign up for lessons. So it's a whole process. And eventually we all got there. Yeah. Yeah. I would think like a lot of people, it's like they want something like this big idea of what they want to achieve. And oftentimes it's like, it's hard to get that first step, right? Like you're sitting, maybe you're sitting in that regret saying like, oh, I like really always wanted to go after this thing. And they're still dwelling in that space. Like, how do you feel like people kind of shift their mindset into believing in that possibility and moving into that abundance mindset? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think you have to, again, recognize, you know, just write it down. Think of anything that you've achieved in the past from the smallest thing like decorating a room, passing an exam, yeah, getting your driver's license. It could be that you have got a particular job. You know, all these things took time and you had to take that first step. So you have to remind yourself of that. It's one step at a time and no one else really can make you do that. You have to decide what it is that you want and what the steps will be. And one of the tricks I think there is, you know, I, for example, yes, as you mentioned, I've written many books and there's times that I've sat down at my laptop and thought, oh, I so don't feel like doing this today. I really don't feel like writing anything. And I have to, I just met, I've learned to do something called acting as if. And what acting as if means is I act as if though I do want to do it. And as if though I'm only going to do five or 10 minutes. So often I tell myself that it's fine. Just do a short amount and you can just, you can go and get a cup of tea or call a friend or, you know, look something, you know, read something. You can, you can do something else. So act as if though you're, you do want to do it or act as if though it's only going to be for a short amount of time. And what happens then is that I, make myself do it. And of course, within a few minutes, I'm into it. I'm on, I'm on a roll. It, it's like, you know, if you had a big heavy stone at the top of the hill and someone said, you've got to push this down. And you said, I cannot do that. I'm really not bothered about doing it. I don't want to do it. And I don't have the strength to do that. And that person said to you, yeah, you just act as if though you do want to do it, just, you know, that you're going to make, give it your all. And, and just for a couple of minutes, you're really going to make the effort. And of course, once you do that, you find that the ball starts rolling down the hill. And before you know it, you're making all sorts of progress. So I do think it's one of the hardest things is to motivate yourself to do something that you know you want, but you know it's going to take effort you just have to show up and you have to make that effort. You have to be tough with yourself. In fact, talk to yourself. Yeah. And there's 
research that shows that if you actually use your own name, then that also can help. So, you know, I, I can say to myself, Jill, just get on with it. Just type a few sentences and it will be fine. Come on, do it, Jill. You've just got to do it. You know, you can try that trick as well. Oh, I love these tricks. These are so great. It's true. It's the idea of like, you can do anything for five minutes, right? And then but it just starts that ball rolling. And that's amazing. I love the like motivating yourself in the third person. It's like someone else telling you to do something. Exactly that. Yeah. And and we do, we respond to other people using our name. So we just have to use our own name to ourselves. Hmm. I love that. You know, sometimes there's this idea of like, I've already gone too far down this one road that it's like, it makes it harder for people to kind of pivot and, and have that openness. Like, what are your yeah. thoughts around that? So do you mean if they realize that, you know what, this is not the right direction, this is not the thing for me? Yeah, it's okay. So, you know, an analogy for that is we've all started a TV series or started a book that we thought, oh, no, I just, this is rubbish. I really don't enjoy this. And and one of the easiest things for us to stop reading that book or watch that TV series is we realize I could be doing other stuff with my time. And actually, this is true of some of the much bigger things in life. It's that you can, you know, think about what else you could be doing that you'd really like to do. What people do is think of the sunken costs. They do think, as you said, well, I've already been doing this for this amount of time, or I've spent this amount of money. Well, yeah, but you see, this is where mindfulness comes in. That was then. That was yesterday, last week, last month, and last year. You're here now, and we've got the future ahead of us. So do you want to continue making the same mistake and being miserable for the same amount of time? And I think in our culture, I think this is a Western culture. I'm not so sure about other cultures, but we feel that we've failed and we don't want to fail and we don't want to tell other people, well, I'm not doing it anymore. It's seen as a negative thing to do that. So actually a positive way to think about it is that when we first decided to do it, we made a decision. All we've done now is made a new decision. Mm. I've changed. We we talk about changing our minds. We literally do that. I made this decision to start it, and now I've made a new decision to stop it. Particularly if it's making us miserable. I, I this happened to me only a couple of weeks ago. I agreed to do some work that involved using some IT on the computer that I'm really not familiar with, and it just became more and more confusing. And I just thought, I just, I shouldn't, you know, I know I said I'd do it, but I'm getting so stressed by this. And therefore, because I'm getting so stressed, I don't think I'm going to do a good job. But I said I would do it, you know, and I can't go back on my work. And in the end, I just said, stop it to myself. You're feeling so stressed about this. You're not going to do a good job. You need to talk to the people that were going to hire you for this and explain all this. And yeah, and I took responsibility. I think that's important as well is to say, look, I bit off more than I could chew. Not make excuses, but give a reason as to, okay, this is why this isn't good for me anymore. And if it does mean letting other people down, yeah, you do have to apologize and say that you've made a mistake. But you know what? The world carries on anyway. you know. Things turn out all right. It's okay to to change your mind, to make a new decision and go off in a different direction or just let something go. Just think, oh, it's not that I want to do something else. I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, One of the things I was thinking of as you were talking about is kind of like the coaching idea of like reframing. That's what I see when you're talking about like that switch of like how you were reframing like this idea of like, well, I've changed my mind and that's okay. I know one of the big topics you talk about as well is positive thinking. 
Do you feel like kind of that is a big part of positive thinking or how do you feel like that comes into play with like keeping yourself in that positive place, I suppose? Yeah, I I think often positive thinking has a bad reputation. It has a bad rap because it's often criticized in a way that I think, well, when I read criticisms about positive thinking, I think, oh, I don't really think that you've understood what positive thinking is. So for me, positive thinking is, and again, it relates to something that we talked about earlier, is acknowledging the bad and the negative and the difficulties. It's not pretending, you know, if if you had an illness, for example, it's not being unrealistic and saying, no, I'm not ill. I'm going to be absolutely fine. I'm uh, totally okay with this. That's harmful when it comes to health. It's acknowledging the negative and the difficulties. It's looking at Is there anything I can do about that? Again, talking about options, what can I do? So I'm unwell, for example. Okay, I recognize that. What's the reality here? In what way is it limiting me? What can I do to help myself? Whether that's helping myself personally, asking for help from someone else, asking for particular medical care. And then what are the positive aspects of this. And so, for example, in fact, last year I was going to go to Amsterdam in Holland with a friend and I got COVID the day before. And I actually, you know, I was saying to myself, it's fine, you'll be fine. Just, just, you know, try and pretend that you haven't got it. And then I thought, no, that's ridiculous. I can't go out there. I can't go on a plane with COVID. That's stupid. That's irresponsible. You have got it. Acknowledge that. And yeah, you're going to have to stay behind. And it's just too bad. I thought, but what's positive about this? Well, one my friend understood completely. She didn't say, oh, you've really let me down. Why did you get COVID? And, you know, she didn't do any of that. She said, it's fine. We could, let's do it next year. It will be absolutely fine. It's not as if though, you know, there, there could have been a lot worse that I couldn't have done. Just a trip to Amsterdam, that was something to look forward to, but it it wasn't that bad. So, so it's looking, finding the positive in difficult situations. So it's, Positive thinking is all about acknowledging the negative, seeing if there's anything you can do about that, and then finding well, what are the positive aspects in this. You know, it could be, yeah, you could be going through a really bad time in a relationship, but maybe you've got a couple of good friends that are very, very supportive. So it doesn't take away from the fact that you're having a bad time, but it, it really helps to sort of refocus your mind. Mm. Yeah. What was coming up for me as you were talking about that was like, it's not suppressing the bad, right? It's not like saying like the bad isn't, doesn't exist, like everything's fine. And yeah, the flip side, I think of the criticism around positive thinking is like toxic positivity, where it's like you go into everything must be positive and we're not allowed to have negativity. And that's just not it. That's definitely not it. No, it's really important to, uh, yeah, that denying the, the difficulties and the negatives is just utterly unhelpful. And, and yeah, that in itself is bad for you. It's getting into denial. Things leak out in other ways. You know, you keep, as you say, using the word suppressing, you're suppressing it. It will come out in another way. So best to acknowledge it, look at it, don't get stuck in it, look at what, you know, are there there any ways around this, any solutions, anything I can do to mitigate these difficulties? And then, okay, and also, what are the positives in this? Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, it's interesting, because earlier you were talking about this idea of like, we call them negative emotions, but they're not really negative. And I feel like that kind of plays into this idea, right? Where it's like, we're not treating things as positive and negative necessarily, but it's like, they're just giving us information that we can then bring into the present moment and work with. Yeah, definitely. That That's, that's really important. And I think it's also important to acknowledge those emotions and feelings. I think that 
one of the difficulties, again, for us when it comes to feelings is that a lot of us have grown up in families and communities, parents, teachers, brothers and sisters, families, that when we were young and we said how we felt about something, the response we got was, no, you don't. You know, so, so example, you might say, I don't want to go and visit grandma. I don't like her. To which the, the adult will go, yes, you do. It, you know, and actually, no, you know, children have real feelings that, you know, so, so often we, you know, I don't want to go to school or I don't want to go to somewhere because I'm scared. No, you're not. A parent says, no, you're not. Parents aren't trying to be horrible in that respect, but it's very easy to tell a child that they don't feel how they feel. So growing up for a lot of us, our feelings haven't been validated. And so if we do feel jealous or guilty or the, what we know as the negative emotions, angry, for example, for a lot of us, it's, no, you don't feel like that. No, no, suppress that. Don't, let's pretend that I don't feel like that. And it can lead to all sorts of psychological and mental health problems very often. So yeah, I, th I think we need to think about, you know, maybe we're not going into some sort of psychotherapy here and, and blaming our parents for everything, but but actually to recognize that for a lot of us, and maybe as parents ourselves, we've done that, that we've told our children or, you know, if we work with children that they don't feel like something. And so what that child learns to do is not trust their own feelings and they suppress them but actually the sort of more helpful response to children is okay so tell me why you you feel like that what you know tell me more about that and then help them to you know to validate that and look at a way around it mm. so would you say like for us as adults like is it that same line of questioning do you feel like when you have your own emotion like if you are dealing with intense anger or something along those lines yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So so anger is a feeling that we don't have any control over a situation. That That's often when we get really angry because there's nothing we can do about it. A typical example, again, is if we're driving in our car and someone pulls out in front of us or does something that's quite dangerous and we, you know, peep on the horn and we're like, what the hell? What do you think you're doing? And we, you know, even obviously the person can't hear us, but we're shouting and we're angry. It's because, well, two things. One, we're frightened, maybe. We're like, whoa, gosh, that could have been an ac terrible accident there. And, and also the feeling that, yeah, that I can't do anything about this. I can't control this situation. So another one, using the curve, we get stuck in traffic in a jam, a traffic jam on the freeway and thinking, I'm going to be so late and getting angry and what's going on here? Why are there so many cars? I don't understand it. We feel like that because we don't have any control. So the message from about anger is, and there's nothing wrong with being angry about things. It's a huge motivating force where in its most positive aspects, we all know about people who are angry and change the world. You know, they take on social things that actually help, helps to change everything. They might not be shouting and screaming, but inside they're angry and this is not just and people shouldn't have to feel, live like this. So it can be a positive motivating force. But the other thing about anger is that it can tell us that, okay, there's something here that you can't control. So if you, if it, you really can't control it, You've got to bring yourself down because it's not helping and we can't think straight when we're angry. So what happens with a lot of these emotions is that when they're really heightened, like guilt, regret, anger, jealousy, we have in our brain something called the amygdala and it's often known as the reptile brain. It's the oldest part of our brain. And when an emotion is triggered and we're really angry or feel really guilty or very jealous, the amygdala is triggered to make us act really fast. 
But whenever that's triggered, the other part of our brain called the neocortex, which is the thinking and reasoning part of our brain, shuts down. Now, there's a survival reason for this. So if the ceiling was suddenly falling down, if my ceiling was, I'd look up, see it falling down, I'd be frightened really quickly. That would, my amygdala would just go, <gasps> make me scared. And I'd jump up and run because, yeah, I wouldn't think, oh, that's funny. The ceiling is falling down on top of me. My neocortex is shut down for a very good reason to make me react like that. And so in ordinary everyday life, unless it's an emergency, we need to recognize that when we have a heightened emotion, if we can just tell ourselves, okay, you're feeling really jealous, you're feeling really guilty, you're feeling really angry, that's fine. But what's the message here? Let's try and breathe and let's try and access that neocortex, the reasoning, thinking part of our brain and work out what we can do next here, something that's logical and reasonable. So we know that people who work in the medical profession, who are firefighters, who are ambulance workers, people who work in emergency services, they are trained so that then when they come into a crisis situation, they don't go, oh no, what are we going to do? They don't do that. They are trained that the amygdala doesn't fire off, that actually they can access the reasoning, rationalizing part of their brain so that they can think clearly. So often when we are angry and we go, I'm so angry, I can't even think straight. That's actually, we don't even realize we're so well describing what's going on. We can't think properly when we're so wow, like this. So that's where mindful breathing can be really helpful because it can bring you down and just help you to access that thinking part of your brain. Mm, I love that. So it's like you have this moment, that heightened emotion, and yeah. then you breathe deeply to come back into that your neocortex, as you said. That's right. Yeah. And that that's why mindfulness is so effective. It, it's stopping your brain from shooting off in all these directions. That breathing, it accesses a whole system in your body that just pulls everything back together and brings you back down. And that's not easy either. You know, when you're angry to think, okay, just breathe. It, you know, it's very easy to think, oh, I can't just breathe. You, you tell that to yourself. You think, no, I can't do that. I'm not even going to bother. But actually, yeah, it takes discipline and practice to do it, but it really does work. It's mindful breathing. And if you practice mindful breathing when you're feeling totally calm, then it's going to be a lot easier to access when you're feeling more heightened with an emotion. Mm, that's actually what I was just about to ask you. Like it sounds, you know, when you were bringing up the ambulance workers, it's like you do the practice when you're not there. Yes. yes and exactly. in the moment. Exactly right. Yeah. Ah, okay. Interesting. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I love all this talk about emotions, but one other thing I wanted to talk about that I saw you write a lot about is confidence. And, you know, so many of us deal with like self-doubt and and just this uncertainty of of like in ourselves. So I would love for you to share a little bit about like how do you really build up confidence? Well, again, it's looking back at what you have already achieved. So confidence is not about what you can do and what you can't do. It's what you believe, what you think think you can do and what you can't do. So we've all been surprised by ourselves. We've, we've said, gosh, you know, I really didn't think I could do that. I'm, I'm amazed that I, I achieved that or that I did that. I remember once a friend said to a group of us, would we like to go paddle boarding? And I said, yeah, sure, thinking that the rest of the group would go. And everyone went, no, thank you. And I thought, oh, no, I've agreed to do this. My, the friend that suggested it was so excited. And I thought, oh, 
I can't let her down. I'm going to have to go. I'm sure I'm going to be rubbish at it. I'm going to be no good. I'm not, I don't like being on the water. I don't like cold water. I don't like swimming. I'm bound to fall in. I don't know why I did it. And I had a really bad attitude. And I absolutely surprised myself by being really good at it. And as soon as I started to realize this, I was only out on the water for five, 10 minutes. My confidence just grew because I'd proven to myself that I could do it. And so I just became more and more confident. So the best way to build confidence is to recognize what, again, the sort of things that you've already achieved. It could be anything from to do with cooking to some sort of work that you do to recognize that at some point you couldn't do it. With everything that we can do, there was a point when we couldn't do it. And again, step by step, we built it up and proved that we could do it. So to have confidence for a particular thing that you want to do, you have to recognize that, yeah, it's going to be a step-by-step process. No one's expecting you to be brilliant at it right at the beginning. So you have to manage your own expectations as well to recognize that, yeah, you're going to make some mistakes and you're not going to be very good at it, but you'll get there. You'll definitely get there. And you've got to, again, find ways to help yourself believe that you can do it. Again, role models, looking at other people and how they've achieved something, maybe even talking to them about it. You know, how how did you start this? And and people will tell you whatever it is oh, I was no good at this at the start. I was hopeless. Yeah, obviously some people do have a natural talent for something like maybe dancing or singing, but everybody else has to work at it to get there. And so you have to recognize that confidence isn't something that's just there. It's something that's, we we talk about building confidence and there's a good reason that we use that word building because it really is. We take steps and we build up our confidence. Again, let's take driving. You know, I'm sure most of us, when we had our first lesson for driving, weren't very confident, but we took lots of lessons and step by step we got there and we became confident drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking of like, for you, it's like almost like, what was Jill like on book one versus book you know, 30 plus, right? I can imagine that your thinking in that space and your confidence has changed over that time. Yeah. And also something when it comes to writing, what I find is also that something that knocks confidence with people is that they think there's a particular way that they have to do something. So often people will talk to me about writing and they'll say, oh, I I, I used to actually teach essay writing at University of Sussex here in the UK. And what I found was that people weren't confident about their ability to write essays. One of the reasons was that they would say, you know, I have to write it, oh, I don't know, four, five times. I I write it out so many times. I I make all these different drafts. I'm clearly no good. And I say to them, you know what? That is the writing process, is writing it the first time, adding to it, taking it away, editing it. That is the process, but you've learned to believe that you should be able to just write it. Who knows where you got that, but so many people think that. And the difference, I say, between you and me is that I'm a confident writer because I know that this is part of the process. I often write things out seven times. I make seven drafts, but I don't think, oh, what's the matter with me? Now I've got to write it again. I might feel irritated and think, oh, I still haven't got it right, what I want to say, but I don't let it knock me because I know that it's part of the process. So I think another part of confidence is not having assumptions about how something should be done. I love what you said there because it was just making me think of the appreciation of the journey versus the end result. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It is a journey. It's a 
a process again that nothing's instant. Everything requires work and rethinking, you making new decisions, maybe. Yeah, it's a whole journey and a process. That reminder is really important, I think, because it's true. We're looking at it should just go this way. And no journey is the same after all. And we all have to go through a different set of steps and processes as we've been talking about to get to that end result. And it it can look whatever way it needs to look. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We yeah, exactly we we all do it in different ways. Again, according to our lives, our commitments, our needs, our abilities, all do it in a different way. But it is also interesting to talk to other people and find out how other people have done it. And actually, the more people you speak to about how they've achieved something, uh, you'll find that everybody did it in a different way from the other person. Right. That's what I always find interesting is this idea of like, I think models are important, but it is important to have multiple models because it's like you can't just copy exactly what that one person did because it in many ways it won't work for you because you you're a different person right and so it's almost like taking little bits from different models yeah yeah absolutely yeah beautiful all right so Jill this has been so lovely i mean i feel like i could talk so much more with you but <laughs> you know i want to be cognizant of your time but is there anything else that you would like to share that we have not covered off on so far? Well, no, as you say, we could talk, we could talk for ages. We could talk all evening. But uh, no, I, th- I think that, as I say, a lot, a lot of what I've written about, books that I've written, mindfulness, emotional intelligence, positive thinking, abundance, you know, they all, there's a lot of crossover between all, all of these sort of subjects and, and disciplines. So if you are interested in any of those areas, if you start reading or looking up anything about any of those subjects, you'll, you'll find that, yeah, they cross over with other ones. And yeah, it's all, all for me, it's all, I find it all fascinating. It's about how, how we are as individuals, how we are with each other. And, and my main thing is I just love to, help people and encourage people to recognize their potential, to realize that we've all got potential and there is plenty that we can achieve and do. Yes. Oh, I love that. And actually from there, I'm curious, well, first off, if someone were to start like with one, which book would you recommend as the first book of your collection of books? <laughs> yeah, actually I'd start with positive thinking because it's so, it feeds into everything else. It's a mindset. So a a positive mindset is so important because when you have a positive mindset, you're open to so learning and and wanting to know so much more. So then that, yeah, that would open you up to any of the other things that I write about, but also for a person just about living in the world to have a positive mindset. Mm, I love that. And then I'm curious, like, what was your first book and what kind of instigated you to write that first one? Yeah, so the first book, so I mentioned that I used to teach at the University of Sussex and I taught on a program that was for people who lived locally to the university. So it wasn't so much for the young, younger people who were coming to do degrees. It was for courses for people who lived in the town of Brighton to come and do some courses. And I taught on a course that was for people in local communities who just wanted to raise their confidence, maybe think about more about a better job or a career and learn a bit more about studying, how they could do that more easily. And myself and a colleague were very interested after a couple of years of how come some people come on these sort of courses And they get the information, the advice, the encouragement and the support, and they fly. They're like, yep, I've got it. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is, you know, they they ask for support and help and they know where they're going and they get information, further information. And others say, oh, yeah, but, you know, I would do that. I'd like to do that, but I can't because of this. So it was about the idea of resilience because a lot of these people had been through some real difficulties in their life. So we were interested in, so what makes the difference? Why is it some people can move forward and some people can't? 
And we looked at some of the research around this, and it showed that those of us that have a resilient attitude and positive have certain ways of thinking. So we tend to see ourselves as survivors, not victims in difficult situations. We have an ability to reach out for support and ask for help. We also contribute, you know, as people who are resilient, they contribute towards others and support and encourage others. They might have a spiritual aspect to them. They feel that they have a connection with something bigger and more eternal than themselves. They have hope and optimism. So you don't have to have all of these things. There's about 14 attributes, but if you've just got a few, you can build on the others. And we realized that those people that weren't resilient had hardly any of these things. And so we realized actually there's a whole book in this on how to be resilient. Mm -hmm. So knowing nothing about the publishing business, we approached a publisher and it turned out to be a very big publisher, a publisher called Pearson. And they said, yeah, we really like your ideas. So, so we wrote this book called Bounce, Use the Power of Resilience to Live the Life that You Want. And it's, it's full of practical ideas and tips on, on how to you know, be more resilient. It didn't sell that much, but we were just so excited to get a book published. And then the editor said, would you like to write something else? What What's something that really, you know, when you're teaching that people really respond to and like? And we said, actually, it's assertive communication. Really, if you run a course on assertiveness, it's amazing how many people come on that course. They want to be more assertive with their family or they want to be more assertive at work. So that was the next book we wrote. And then Sue and Sue was my friend and colleague. We then went on to write different books, not not because we'd fallen out, but we just had different ideas. I love that. Yeah, I can definitely see how assertiveness is definitely a great topic. I'm like, I kind of want to dive into that a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yes, it's area. We'll have to I talk know. again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was funny because I, when I was looking at the scope of all your books, I was like, wow, we could have so many different conversations on all of these different topics. So I was trying to like hone it in. But yeah, at some point, I'm sure it would be lovely to have you on again and talk through a whole different set of topics. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's get into our final questions then. And then we will have you on again at some other point in time. <laughs> so the first question is, how would you describe your current relationship to yourself? Oh, gosh. How do I feel about myself? My relationship with myself is I'm happy with myself. I'm happy with the world. I know things aren't always brilliant in the world, but I feel happy in my place in the world and the fact that I have friends, I have family, I make a contribution to the world. You know, that that's important to me to contribute to others. And I think that that also is something that makes me feel good about myself, that I can do that. You can, you know, I'm, I feel we can all do that, that we're all in a place where one way or another we can make a contribution to the world in some small way. And so that's what helps me feel good about myself and who I am is that I always have that possibility. Mm, absolutely. Well, you certainly have with all these incredible books. I, I love that. Okay. So next question is, what is something that you're currently working on? Oh, what am I currently working on? I'm not writing a book at the moment. I'm with my editor. We're just talking about what, what we might do next. But I do do some community work. And actually, only today I've been involved in an organization in the UK called My Grateful. And it works with refugees and asylum seekers. And it trains them. I'm involved in a training because I'm also a trainer as well. 
and I like food and I like to meet people from other cultures and countries. So I'm involved in this organization where we're currently training four people from other countries, one's from Mauritius, one from Palestine, one from Afghanistan, one from Russia, to become cookery teachers. So they will be teaching classes cooking from their own culture. And so we are training them to do this. So they can already cook, but we're training them to be cookery class teachers so that they can explain to other people how to cook their food and invite them to classes. So, yeah, that's what I'm I'm currently involved in. That's my current project. Oh, that is brilliant. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question is, what do you consider most valuable to you right now? Most valuable to me right now are my family. Yeah, I have, I'm married. I have three sons who are all grown up and I have three grandchildren. And I'm very fortunate also in that the three sons and their partners all live in the same town that I do, which is, you know, it's quite unusual these days because, you know, many of my friends, their children have moved to other countries or other parts of the UK. So yeah, it's, I very much appreciate that my, my family, my, my sons and and their partners and the grandchildren live here and they're just, yeah, the grandchildren are a a delight. They're lovely. Oh, that's so lovely. Next question is, what is the best lesson you've learned recently? (sighs) The best lesson I've learned recently well, I'm constantly, I'm constantly learning the same lesson is to be more patient. I am very impatient. And this, again, talking about positives and negatives, I, I know that for everything that we might think as a negative, there's a positive side to it. So I know that being, you know, all my life I've been told, I remember I can still hear my dad now saying, You're so impatient. Have some patience about things. But I know that the positive side is that I get things done. When people people who are impatient, they get things done because they can't be waiting around for it. They just go, okay, let's just do it. And it's sorted. But the difficulty with being impatient is that sometimes I rush ahead too quickly Mm. and often other people get really annoyed and angry because I'm rushing them or pressurizing them. So I'm constantly learning every time I do that, that, okay, there you go. See, you're impatient there. What have you learned? You have got to slow down. Stop pushing other people or pressurizing them or stop making them go faster because they don't like it. It's not fair. And then you don't feel good that you've done that. So that's it's a it's a life lesson that I'm still I'm still learning. Yeah, we all have some of those, right? The things that yeah. we have to keep learning a little bit more, a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right. How would you describe your purpose right now? Um, I would say that it's my purpose is constant. It's not really change to have a you know it's it's one of the most I, I wrote a book about happiness and all the research that I looked at showed some, that nothing has changed since the time of Aristotle 2000 years ago where he recognized that to be happy you have to have a purpose and an aim so something quite big but also small pleasures so to be happy you have to have both and small pleasures can be, you know, a fantastic coffee or a, a waking up to the sunshine or, that, you know, we have to have those things in our lives, but we also have to have a purpose. And I know that I enjoy the work that I do. I My big thing is, I suppose, it's helping, yeah, I've said it already, helping people, re- other people realize their potential and my I hope that the 
best way that I do that is that I'm genuinely interested in them. I can see potential in everybody. And I think one of my the things that I'm good at is explaining things clearly to people in an encouraging way that helps them believe that about themselves as well. So yeah, I, I continue to do that. That's something I'm I'm interested in the world. I I like to help other people be interested in the world and their selves and their place in the world and that they've got potential. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. All right. So along those lines, last question is what is the number one skill you believe everyone should work on? Oh gosh. Well, if they're all as impatient as me, they need to work on their patience. But the number one skill everybody should work on, I think it is connection, really. We are, as as human beings, we are social beings and making positive connections with other people. So I, I think it's just reaching out to other people, whether it's friends, family, whether it's sending that text to somebody that you haven't spoken to for ages or, or a text that you, you see something funny and you think that or someone else will appreciate this joke or it's offering to invite someone around who you might be a bit lonely. I, I, I think that we've all, all got to connect a little bit more and, and recognize that we, we can do that. We've, we've all got something to contribute and so that's what we should be working on, connecting and contributing. Yeah, I love that. That I feel like that's why I love doing this podcast even. It feels like building connection. Definitely. Yeah. That exactly, <laughs> Jessica. This seems that, you know, we can all do it in our different ways. And yeah, that this is a great way. Yeah, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jill. This has been such an enlightening and beautiful conversation. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, how can they connect with you? probably best just to they'll find me via my website which is quite simply Jill Hassan so that's G-I-L-L-H-A-S-S-O-N so jillhassan.co.uk wonderful all right. So I hope everyone tuning in will go and buy one of the copies of one of Jill's many books. The books are all on my website or through Amazon. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So please reach out to Jill. Please take a look at one of her books and thank you for tuning in. So thank you so much again, Jill. It has been such a pleasure talking with you today. Lovely. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you for joining us on this episode of A Way of Thinking. I hope it has been a source of inspiration and guidance as you continue to navigate your path towards greater inner peace and purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback helps us reach more seekers like you. And for those of you who are ready to take a deeper dive into your journey, I invite you to book a dream job discovery session with me your host, Jessica Huang. It's an opportunity for us to explore how you can bring greater meaning and purpose into your career and life. Simply visit jessicahuangcoaching.com and schedule your session today. Remember, the power to create the life you desire resides within you, and I'm here to support you every step of the way. Until next time, embrace the journey, cultivate your inner peace, and never stop seeking your true purpose.